So this is episode 57 of the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the people that pursue them. Today's guest is Jonathan Breitenbach. Jonathan is a young and passionate nature lover whose love for all things nature have driven his passion for biobashers. In this episode, he tells us all about what biobashing is and how to do it. His passion is inspiring, and we know that you will be inspired by this episode. As always, The Burning Life is proud to be associated with Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Birdlasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously where to find amazing birds. Be sure to check out our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, our YouTube channel, our youth podcast, as well as our various social media platforms. We have recently uploaded our field test of the Canon PowerShot Zoom on our YouTube channel. Watch the video and see if you think that this device will be a game changer for birders. So, without further ado, let's hear from today's guest, Jonathan Breitenbach. So, Jonathan, I know that you're on the Youth Podcast, but I'm really excited to have you on the show. And we're going to chat a lot about your birding and the biobashes that you've done. But before we do that, for the sake of those who might not have actually heard the previous um, interview on the, on the Youth Podcast, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, yes. Thank you, Adam. Um, thanks so much for, for having me. So, yeah, um, I'm Jonathan Breitenbach. I'm 19 years old. And, yeah, I'm currently a first-year student at the Northwest University at Potjofstroom. And I'm studying zoology and botany. And after that, I'm planning on studying ornithology at the Fitzpatrick Institute in, in Cape Town. So, basically, my passion is all things nature. So I'm a birder, naturalist, a citizen scientist, and also a nature photographer. So all things nature, that's what that's what makes me tick. And, and what's interesting, um, you mentioned a while ago, you sent us a message and said that when you were in school and where you grew up, there weren't a lot of other young people around you who are doing what you are doing, going into nature and chasing off the birds and doing the natural stuff. You were like almost this lone ranger. How did you keep the passion burning for nature and for birds and all things all things natural? So yeah, it's actually quite interesting because when I was in, in primary school, I was really, as you said, a lone ranger. Like I was, if I can say it's socially awkward, yeah, I didn't really care what other people thought of me and if they, they, if they thought of me as weird or, or whatever. So I didn't really care. And I think that, that kind of, of helped me a little bit because I didn't try to fit in or, or do what the other kids were doing. If I wanted to, to uh, catch a lizard during break. I, I did it. I didn't even care what other people thought. So that's that's one thing. And another thing is, I must say, my mom really, really supported me all the way. Um, my dad as well. <laughs> but yeah, they really, really supported me and, uh, and helped me. All, all the ideas, they, they really supported me. And only later on, when I really started with my birding journey and really started going deeper, I joined uh, our local bird club and... They are really, I think, 
are really grew and developed as as a birder and naturalist, engaging with other people with the same passion, um, learning a lot from them, and from there it really it re- went really fast. Yeah, that's that's basically how I did it. I didn't really care what other people thought of me, so I think that's that's a major thing. I just went for it. And then being a younger naturalist, who are some older naturalists and birders and people in conservation that you look up to? Yo, okay, so yeah, there are a few. So obviously, I'm going to start off with with Warwick Tarbiton. Um, is really, I think, to a lot of to a lot of birders and 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 naturalists and people out there, even photographers, um, is a is a big role model and and someone to look up to. And then um, Hugh Chittenden for his photography as well, and and also his uh, contributions to conservation and science and stuff. Then someone else for mainly the photography is Richard Flack. And um, I'm pretty sure you've seen his photography. It's amazing. It's crazy. So, yeah, he really inspires me um, in, in the, the photographic part of my journey. And then the other, the other people, Fancy Peacock as well. For, I mean, I, the LBJs and the, and, the, and the Waders books, it's just amazing. And uh, his drawings is just out of this world. And then John Kingon and Tony Geddes for really being active on the ground in conservation. Uh, recently, the, the snare removals they're doing, um, the vulture conservation, um, so they're doing a lot of great work. And then, Adam, um, I'm going to say you as well, and, and the team at the, the Birding Life, you guys are really out there and, and really just engaging with everyone and, and really playing a major, major role in, in conservation, I think. Oh, thanks so much. Really appreciate that, man. It means a lot. But talking about photography, you had an incident when you were out doing a biobash where you fell and some of your camera equipment was damaged. Tell us about that story. So, yeah, um, actually, this happened earlier this year, I think, in about beginning of February. Me and a friend, we we'd, um, do our biobashes in, in Rustenburg in our local nature reserve, Khoshwane Mountain Reserve. And it's it's situated in the Machalisberg, so it's it's really a mountainous mountainous area, a lot, lots of rocky outcrops, and and there's, there's even a waterfall cutting through the mountains. So, yeah, we decided after the good rains earlier this year, we're gonna um, descend and uh, down down the waterfall basically. I'm going all the way along the waterfall to see how far the water goes, maybe see what dragonflies and stuff we can find. Because the first time we went there, um, we've only been there, um, before that, we've only been there once, down the waterfall, and it was really, really dry. So so basically we went down and we encountered this kind of ravine, valley kind of cliff thing. And yeah, it's probably about six meters down, but it's really, really steep. and we we don't follow trails when when we do our biobashes. We like to just go through the through the bushes and make our own paths. But when we saw that this is going to be a really difficult like uh, descent, we we actually looked for because I have those painted footprints 
for the for the trails. And we actually saw that there there are painted footprints um, going down this this valley. And we decided we're going to follow that to make it a bit easier. Yeah, on our way down, I stopped, I turned around, talked, said something to my friend, and as I turned back around, started walking, I stepped on like loose rocks or something. But all those rocks and stuff gave way underneath me and I had nowhere to hold on to. I, I had nowhere to prevent myself from falling. So there I went falling four meters, about four meter fall. Um, I broke my camera body and the, the, the kit 55 millimeter lens. Luckily, the, the Sigma, the big lens wasn't broken uh you i'm really really glad about that but yeah it it really sucks because now i can't take photos and yeah i was used to like taking photos every single day so yeah it's not nice not nice but i'm on i'm, I'm on my way saving up for a new camera and if anyone wants to sponsor jonathan you know where to who to contact yeah i would appreciate that yeah come on come on i need sponsors <laughs> One of your passions is biobashes. And so for the sake of those who have no idea what a biobash is, tell us what is a biobash? So in short, a biobash is going out into the field. And when I'm saying the field, it's anywhere. It can be your garden, um, your, a local patch of grassland or, or a nature reserve. And recording as many species of every of all the animal groups that you can think of, yeah, basically recording as much species of, of, of everything in a certain period of time. And you can decide what the, the time is or how big the, the space is or where you do it and, and even what animals you want to include. So I can say uh, today I'm going out for five hours and I'm recording as many bird species butterfly species and dragonfly species as I want. And if I go out the next time, I can say, okay, I'll do those, and I, but I include amphibians, reptiles, and insects, for example. So, yeah, that's basically what it is. So how do you plan and approach a biobash? Are you going to go out and do a biobash on a specific weekend? Or what? How, how does the planning look for that, and how would you approach the on a practical level? So, yeah, basically, it's, it's really... It's not a formal event. It's really, it's really casual. So anyone can do it. I mean, if it's like going out birding, um, except you're just <laughs> recording a whole lot of anim other animals. So um, how we do it is we just say, okay, are you open this weekend? You say, yes, okay, let's go do a biobash at, at our local nature reserve. Then we decide, okay, what's the time, the, the duration? Are we going from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 in the evening? Or are we going for two days, we maybe stay over? Or are we only doing it for the morning? Yeah, so the, it's, it's very similar to birding. Yeah, and you don't need a lot of, like, guides or stuff. But something that really, really, really helps is a camera. For in the field, you're not always going to be able to ID everything you see. So it really helps to have photo photographs of, of the different things you see for later identification. Yeah, because I think that would be the, the challenge is, you know, honestly for myself, I've got to a level where I'm not too bad with birds, but dragonflies I struggle with. I mean, I've got 
dragonfly books. I struggle with butterflies still. I struggle with plants. And, you know, for me to go out on the field and to do it, it's quite intimidating, you know. And for somebody else who's listening who says, yeah, yeah, I'm cool. I'm, I get the bird side or maybe they're into butterflies or something. And now I'm going to go out to the field and I'm going to like broaden my scope of what I'm looking for. It can be quite scary if you have no flipping idea what you're seeing. Yes, that that's re- that's true. Your um, but luckily, you don't have you don't need uh, a knowledge of of different of the different species. Say, for example, butterflies. You're doing birds and butterflies for a day, and you don't know a thing about butterflies. It's okay. Yeah, it, and as you said, it broadens your your knowledge because you go out, photograph the birds, f- photograph the butterflies. And what you do is when you get home, you, there's, there's a few different sites where you can, can submit this. To, if you can't ID it using a field guide, you can, there, there are a lot of different uh, platforms that can aid in, in identification and, and help you to get, to get a positive ID. What are some of the platforms you use for that? So Facebook, <laughs> Facebook um, really helps if you, don't, if you don't know what something is. Join join a butterfly group. Join a dragonfly group. Um, they usually they are experts on the on the groups that 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 can help you, and you can really learn a lot by doing that. But the main thing, the main platform that I use is iNaturalist. Now, basically, um, it's a website. They also have an app, a mobile app, that you can download. Um, but it's a website. It's a platform developed by. Um, the National Geographic Society and the California Academy of Sciences. And it's a place where people from around the world can upload photos of anything they see. This includes plants, fungi, birds, fish, um, anything, any living thing you can think of, you can upload there. And there are um, moderators and panels of uh, of experts who then identify um, the your observation and what makes it also interesting is it works um, on a community ID so you s- upload your photo and you have no clue what it is it actually gives you a suggestion by artificial intelligence it, it gives you a suggestion of what it thinks the creature is that you uploaded. And if you don't find what you're looking for there, um, you just submit it. And then people uh, will browse through observations. And when they see your observation and they know what it is, they suggest an ID. Then another person scrolls along. They see your observation. They know what it is. They see another person has already suggested an ID. Then they can then they agree with that ID, or they can disagree and suggest something else. But if two or more people agrees on the ID, it gains like a little badge that says research grade. So then that observation can be used for research as well, um, because it has a positive ID. And iNaturalist also has, when you have a positive ID, it has links. Um, it has a lot of information on the taxonomy and and distribution and and and. Of, of the species. So it's really an amazing tool to use. Um, so you just go into Google, type in iNaturalist, uh, create an account, it's really quick, and then you start uploading. 
Join BirdLife South Africa on 27 and 28 May 2021 for the fifth virtual Learn About Birds or Lab conference. Attend both the Science and Layman's Lab for just 800 Rand or enjoy four world-class Layman's Lab lectures for just 350 Rand. For more information, visit the BirdLife South Africa website or email lab2021 at birdlife.org.za. Lab is co-hosted by BirdLife South Africa and the Fitzpatrick Institute of African Ornithology. Proceeds from this event will go towards conserving South Africa's most threatened birds and their ecosystems. So now you've come back from a biobash and you get home, you've got tons of photos, you've got tons of information. What do you do with that information and how do you store it? How do you categorize it? Talk us through that process. Yeah, so that's actually uh, a thing that I've only um, really done in the from the last biobash, the second last biobash, I started with it because as you said, you come back with a thousand photos, two thousand photos in a whole day, and it's a whole lot of of data to store, and it just like fills up your your storage space. And besides that, you don't have a a way to like see um, the species counts. It's it's really a mess. So what I've done, I've created like a, a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet, where I I make a a sheet for birds and another sheet for reptiles, another sheet for mammals, another sheet for plants or whatever. Okay, you just basically list all the the different species in that spreadsheet together with I put in the English name, Afrikaans name, scientific name. If there's a if there's a subspecies, I also put that in, and then I put a reference. I also put in on what biobash I've seen it. And then I put the reference number to um, the best photo of the of the um, that that specific species that I have de- um, taken during that biobash. And then in the same folder, uh, I put another a subfolder where I, where I saw all those photos. And then you can just you you scroll through, you see the reference number for that species. If you want to show someone, you ju- you just go to the subfolder and find your photo. So it really makes it a lot easier. You can see during what, which biobash have you seen it. If you have seen it during one, two, three, and and five, or one, two, three, four, five, or one, only one. So it really helps to just simplify your data, and uh, it's really a way to, um, a quick reference to to the data. So with all these biobashes and all the information you've got, what are some things that you've observed and learnt? Yeah, I've seen that, and um, this is something we actually know, but when you do the biobash, you really observe this, you really get to see this firsthand, that everything, every living thing is interlinked. All, everything is interlinked. And you you get to see the the relationships between say birds and ants, for example. Um, you you get to see behaviors and really just things you don't see when you're just out birding and and, and ticking off species, um, making making a list. So you really get to know the 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 creatures more on an intimate level, if I can say it like that. So, yeah, one thing is that everything is interlinked and you also get to see the, the great effect that weather and, and seasons 
and and the different climates have on species diversity. Um, as we do our biobashes, we've done five biobashes bio in um, the same nature reserve over a period of two years. And those were throughout different seasons, different weather, different, yeah, different overall climate. And it, it's just astonishing how different the species and the diversity is um, between all the biobashes. And then for somebody who has such a broad love of nature, you must be a book lover. You must be someone who just loves books. What are your three favorite books on your bookshelf right now? Yo, that's that's a really, really difficult question. But since this is a the birding podcast, I'm going to keep it to, to the bird guide. So I have to include Robert's bird guide. It's really, really uh, an amazing reference and uh, aid when birding. And another another thing, another book that really means a lot to me and um, is something that I'm really interested in is the Robert's Geographical Variation. Um, it's just so amazing to see the, the variation in the same species depending on, on, on different locations and, um, and provinces or, or whatever. So, yeah, that's, that's another book, the, the Geographical Variation. Um, by also Roberts, and then I have to include Fancy Peacocks, LBJs, and the Waders as well. Just fantastic books. Oh, some really great choices there. And if you were to choose books that were not birding books, what books would you add to the list? If you could choose another couple of books, what would you put on the list? Yeah, so that would include basically all the the, the field guides to the different groups of animals. Yeah, basically the field guides. Because that's how I ID most of, of the of the creatures. Well, not most of them, but a lot of them. It really helps a lot to narrow down to at least genus. So, um, yeah, the field guides are, are, are on the list. So, Jonathan, something that anyone who gets to know you would know is that your faith plays a very po- big part in your life. And a lot of people say that science and religion clash, that they, there's no way that you can put the two together. But as someone who loves nature and who is studying at university, what would you say to those people who say that science and religion clash, that there's no way that you can be a person of faith and also study nature and that kind of thing? You know, what would you say to those people? Yeah, um, so, yes, as you said, my faith and my, my um, uh, relationship with God really is a central part of my life. And, and studying at university, going into the natural sciences and the biological sciences, uh, it's basically a given that I'm going to be confronted by really highly um, qualified science, scientists who oppose faith, who says, um, as you said, that um, science and religion is basically opposite. And I think that it that is completely uh, a wrong way of seeing it. I think faith and science is the ultimate match. I think you shouldn't separate the two because God, who created everything, he created everything. He created the, all the living things that we are studying, essentially. So he knows all the answers that, that we are seeking. And if you as a scientist can... I have a strong faith and a relationship with God, 
maybe you, I think it just makes it a whole lot better for he knows the answers. And if if it's his will, he might just show you the answers, show you the answers that you're seeking. And I think saying that um, that science and religion oppose each other is like saying cars and roads oppose each other. It's a weird thing to say, but if you think about it, cars and roads. Yes, a car can can drive off a road. It it, it can go without a road, and a, there can be roads of no cars. But if you put the the two together, it's the perfect match. the The road will serve its purpose. The cars will get uh, will last longer. The people will get where they want to go really much faster. So yeah, um, basically. I think you shouldn't separate the two. I think the challenge that people have, though, is that science says that we have to be able to prove, we be able to have to have factual proof with what we believe, where, where God, in a sense, they say cannot be proved. On that point, actually, recently I've done a lot of reading um, on, on this specific topic and more on, in the field of, of intelligent design. Now, Intelligent design uses, um, it's people that, uh, scientists, qualified, highly qualified, really clever people, scientists, who um, uses science to prove that there is a creator, to prove that life is designed, as, as the, the term in, intelligent design suggests. So, and I'm actually currently busy reading a book about it, um, the book's name is Undeniable by Douglas Axe. And it, it goes about how science and biology confirms our intuition that life is designed, that it's not just chemistry and physics uh, happening with, with, with no reason, with no cause, um, but that life is designed. And um, someone at my church actually uh, um, introduced me to a, a, web a, a website that is dedicated to this idea of intelligent design versus Darwinism and evolution theory. And if anyone would like to, to um, have a look, the, the website is, um, is Discovery Institute. So just type in Google Discovery Institute and there's a whole lot of resources, videos, um, presentations, write-ups, books, everything, the whole lot. Yeah, so actually there is proof and, and I'm not qualified <laughs> or I'm not the person yet to, to, to show all the proof or to, to explain everything. But yeah, I, I can say that there is proof, scientific proof and evidence of a creator and that life is designed. And then you mentioned your studies earlier. Just lastly, what does the future look like for Jonathan Breitenbach? Yeah, um, so I mentioned that I, I, I want to study, uh, go on and study um, ornithology. And that's, that's really, I've, actually, I'm, I'm really lucky because I've had that, that idea, uh, that plan from a rather young age, and it's still going. So um, yeah, I wanted to go study ornithology and really also conservation. Um, I'm not sure yet how I'm gonna I'm gonna do it, but I really want to make a contribution, a, a big contribution to conservation and 
of the birds and and the habitats and and you know all those things so conservation is is basically what I'm, I'm seeing for my future. Oh, Jonathan, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been great chatting to you. Um, I know we're going to get you to do some more articles. I know we're going to be getting, doing an article on biobashes and that kind of thing, but it's been so cool chatting to you. And, uh, you know, just honestly, you've got a wisdom that's beyond your years and your, your passion for birds and nature is just so inspiring. So thanks for giving up your time to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Adam. It's, it's been a real pleasure and, a, and an honor. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Bird Enough project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a laugh list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.